One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Kylie Camps, and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Today's episode is a conversation with Dr. Peter Wright. Dr. Peter is the founder of Vera Women's Wellness. She is an incredible gynecologist and also a pediatric and adolescent gynecologist and fertility specialist. She's located in Brisbane and she is an incredible wealth of knowledge. Dr. Peter has been on the podcast before. I think this could be her third time on. I could be wrong. It could even be the fourth. I think maybe third. Not sure. But you can go back through the episodes and hear more from Dr. Peter on all sorts of topics, including freezing eggs, the contraceptive pill. There's a lot of information in our past conversations. And today is no exception. Today we are speaking about endometriosis. I found this conversation incredibly enlightening and really gave me so much food for thought when it comes to the topic of endometriosis. Now, before my conversation with Dr. Peter, I wasn't incredibly versed in this topic. I'm not someone who has struggled with endometriosis symptoms, nor have I ever sought treatment. So for me, I haven't lived with any of these symptoms. But it was really, really helpful to understand, I guess, exactly what endometriosis is and also what treatment options are available. So we speak about symptoms, we speak about treatments, we speak about common misconceptions and just how incredibly important it is to really look at any health concern holistically. And Dr. Peter does an incredible job at explaining this. Now, Dr. Peter is, as I said, incredible. She's a gynecologist. She is also a pediatric and adolescent gynecologist and fertility specialist. She's the founder of Vera Women's Wellness, as I mentioned, and she does speak a little bit about her new clinic at the end of our conversation. And if you are local to Brisbane, you're going to want to jot this name down because Vera Women's Wellness is going to be such a hub Um particularly for Brisbane women who really need extra support and guidance. So before we dive into this conversation, I wanted to take a minute to let you know today's episode is brought to you by The Kind Parenting Company. So The Kind Parenting Company, or as I call it often, the KPC, is an online resource for baby and toddler sleep, as well as toddler behavior. Over at thekindparentingcompany.com, you can have a really thorough look through all of the programs that are offered. You're going to find an incredible range of topics covered in these programs. The goal with The Kind Parenting Company is simply to provide parents and carers of babies and toddlers with evidence-based practices that are really, really steeped in kind parenting techniques. And kind parenting techniques simply means that you're kind <laughs> to yourself and also really practicing kindness in the relationship that you have with your little ones as well. It's not about being perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It's really about helping your little ones to sleep 
well and also for toddlers it's about helping them to move through toddlerhood because it's such a tricky time not just for us as parents but for them as well they're going through so many changes and stages now the kind parenting company programs all come with audio files and when you purchase a kpc program you then have unlimited access to audio files so if you love the podcast and you also feel really passionate about conscious parenting you're going to love these programs because you can listen in as if it's a podcast on topics that are really, really relative to you and your family. So perhaps you're going through the four-month sleep regression. You can tune into that track as many times as you need. And if you're sleep deprived, you might need to go through it a few times, but you can pop it on while you're driving, while you're walking, while you're folding the laundry, which is exactly how I'm spending my very exciting Friday night. But the audio files mean that you can get the information in with ease so all programs have the audio files the sleep programs also come with unlimited access to the video tutorials as well jump over to thekindparentingcompany.com click on each program have a look at the contents table and see if the information in these programs feels right for you if it does feel right for you please feel free to use this code to get 20 percent off for the next week only. So the code is 2020POD, all in capitals, P-O-D, 2020POD at checkout to take 20% off your order. So that's thekindparentingcompany.com. Jump on over, have a little look, make sure you check out Toddler Life as well because Toddler Life has so many important topics in there from communication frustration to biting to hitting to smacking to sleep to co-sleeping to all of it. So you will find a direct link to the programs in the show notes. Now, let's get stuck into my conversation with Dr. Peter Wright. Peter, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to have this conversation with me. It's always a pleasure, any opportunity I get to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me, Kylie. Of course. Now, this is a really, really big topic, and it's one that I often get questions about, but I don't have the answers. And that topic is endometriosis. So let's begin at the beginning. What is endometriosis? So endometriosis is a bit of an enigmatic condition. So it's about it affects about one in 10 women that we know who have a diagnosis of endometriosis. It's a condition where cells like the cells that line the uterus, so the like the endometrial lining, grow in other places outside of the uterus. So they can grow in on the side walls of the pelvis, they can grow on the on the ovaries, on the bladder, on the bowel. Sometimes rarely they can grow in other far-flung places in the body, but that's much more rare. Um, and often the symptoms that women can have are painful periods is one of the most common ones. And that's pain that, um, you know, is can be quite debilitating, can last for days before the period comes on, can last throughout the duration of the period, can, um, you know, isn't relieved by simple measures, so simple um, painkillers, um, things like heat packs and ginger and herbs and things like that. Um, some women can be just, you know, completely bowled over in bed um, and it can really have an effect on their quality of life, missing lots of days of school and work, affect relationships. Often um, endometriosis can um, cause painful sex, which is obviously distressing and is another um, big way that it can affect relationships and self-esteem. And, um, and then if painful periods go on for a long time obviously you can see how that can snowball and affect women's mental health um and you know if they're missing out on lots of opportunities and things that they want to be doing throughout the month and that continues month after month after month you can see that it can be a really debilitating condition um so that 
is it in a nutshell. There can be more vague symptoms as well. So some women might complain of, um, you know, body aches and pains, fatigue, um, nausea, bowel changes around the time of their period that are above and beyond normal changes that we can expect with a period. Um, and the thing about endometriosis is it hasn't been well researched and only until recently. For many, many years, it was just a, um, the thought was if women had period pain, it was, a, you know, suck it up. This is normal. This is what it's like to be a woman, which, of course, is not the case. Um, and so there wasn't much research done. Thankfully, now that's changing, but we still don't really know why it happens and why it affects some women and affects and doesn't affect others. Um, it's a it's, I see many women with endometriosis in my practice and it's one of the most complicated, complex areas um, that I deal with because it is so multifactorial. So, And so I was just going to ask, Peter, with the symptoms of endometriosis, one of the main ones being those really debilitating periods, in your experience, is it possible for women to have endo but not have the pain? Yes, absolutely. In fact, sometimes this is the crazy thing about endometriosis is, and this is why it can be so confusing for women because some women can have terrible endometriosis, like they might have a surgery for something completely different, say they're getting a tubal ligation, so they're getting the tubes tied or something after they've had babies. They might be having a workup for infertility, so they might be struggling to fall pregnant. They might have a history of you know, totally normal periods, and they might be found to have really significant endometriosis at surgery. So endometriosis doesn't always cause pain or symptoms. Um, and Conversely, some women who have really dreadful, painful periods don't have endometriosis lesions that we can see, but they still have pain. And that's why for me and for my the women that come to see me, I think, well, yes, it's important to think about endometriosis as a diagnosis. And there are some things that we might do differently for endometriosis than just for, say, period pain without endometriosis, like surgery, for example. Um, I really think it's the woman's experience and her symptoms that is the most important factor um, rather than treating endometriosis because it's there. Um, because unless it's causing you know, symptoms or issues with fertility, it doesn't need to be dealt with. And in fact, I was talking to a colleague recently who had let me know about a study that was recently done looking at women who were asymptomatic, so had no symptoms, who had a laparoscopy for, you know, another reason. So a laparoscopy is keyhole surgery, so the kind of surgery that you might have if you're looking for endometriosis or if you had your appendix out or something like that, so a little camera inside your tummy. And in that study, about 50% of women who didn't have any symptoms had some evidence of endometriosis lesions. So my feeling is that little bits of endometriosis might in fact be physiological, which means that might be a normal part of our, you know, menstruating lives. I guess it's about the idea of, well, what causes it? And again, we don't know for sure. We know that when women have a period, so most of the blood obviously comes out of the vagina, but we know that almost 100% of women, definitely more than 90% of women, will have some blood and some endometrial tissue coming out of their fallopian tubes and into their pelvis. Um, but obviously not 100% not of women have endometriosis. But one of the theories is that for the women that do develop endometriosis, those cells implant and, you know, start to grow where they land inside the pelvis. And perhaps what's happening is that in women who have very mild endometriosis or no endometriosis, their immune system can target those cells and clean everything up. But in women who have endometriosis, what we think is happening is that their immune cells aren't working as they should. So they're not recognizing those cells initially. And then there's a massive um, inflammatory response that becomes you know, worse than the initial little cells that landed there. And then they start to grow 
um, implant cause, you know, ongoing inflammation, lots of inflammatory um, cells like mast cells and cytokines and other um, inflammatory chemicals. So it's like these um, deposits become almost like a, a scar, scar tissue that doesn't heal properly. Mm. Um, and so at the heart of it, we know that endometriosis is an immune dysfunction. So it's impairment in our immune system that's making those little cells that land in the pelvis during a period not be cleaned up and this over um, overactive inflammatory response. Does that so make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. And one of the questions that was kind of coming to me then when I was listening to you speak is about, I guess, so we don't know exactly what's causing it. There's obviously that link between the immune dysfunction that you mentioned. But say, for example, someone has a little bit of pain, not a great deal. They might have some lesions. What are what else is going on internally? I guess what I'm trying to get to is what would be the reason that you would treat it if it wasn't to do with pain? Is it because it could cause complications with fertility? Um, or, you know, hormonal imbalance or anything else like that? Or is it more so, okay, if someone is in a lot of pain, that's when you need to deal with it? That's a really interesting question. And that's why this is such a complex area. Because the thing is, if we had a simple test for endometriosis, that what didn't involve um, invasive surgery, then it would be much easier. But, you know, everyone would could just have a test and you wouldn't really think about it that much. But with endometriosis, um, the, the gold standard for diagnosis is to do a keyhole surgery. So coming into hospital, having a general anaesthetic, which means going off to sleep, having a little, um, a little incision made in your belly button, and then, you know, depending on what's found, another one to three incisions in your belly button, just tiny ones, like about five millimetres. But it is an operation and there can be complications with operations. Um, and it's about understanding what that operation can do. So I guess to answer, I'll get back to that in a minute, diagnosis and treatment. But I suppose if I had a woman who came to me who had some pain with her periods, my approach would be, first of all, to think about all of the factors which can cause painful periods. And those are things like we know that when you have a period, it's an inflammatory process anyway. So when the lining or as the lining begins to shed, um, little inflammatory chemicals called prostaglandins are released and that can cause um, period, that you know, the mild period pain and discomfort that many women get that we say is can be normal if it's mild, um, relieved with, with simple measures, um, lasts for one or two days before the period in the first couple of days of your period and doesn't interfere significantly with your quality of life. We would say that that's a normal, you know, amount of pain. Um, women we know who've we've studied um, who have significantly higher levels of those prostaglandins for whatever reason. It might be that they have heavier bleeds. They might have more inflammation in their body and that might be due to diet, um, stress, um, chemicals in their um, environment. Um, then they may have more prostaglandins and more pain. And that might not have anything to do with endometriosis or it might be um, part of that picture. The other things that can cause more pain is um, the nervous system. So this is where pain becomes, you know, the treatment of pain, it's very complex. And it's not just when we think about pain, we think that there's some tissue damage happening somewhere. And then that gives us a signal of pain. And then we, you know, there's, we, we get that signal that there's something wrong. But it's more complicated than that. So, yes, pain generally is due to like acute tissue damage. And in the case of endometriosis, that is, um, you know, the scarring and the inflammation that's going on. And in the case of a normal period, it's, you know, the, the, 
the endometrial shedding, endometrium shedding and the prostaglandins being released. Um, but then in order for us to actually feel that as pain, we have to have a nervous system. So we have to have peripheral nerves, so nerves that, um, you know, detect those inflammatory chemicals and then a, a system that, you know, transmits those messages up, to, up through our spinal cord to our brain where we then register that's painful right? So there can be situations and there often is with women who have, you know, pain over a long period of time or other reasons that their nervous system is upregulated, that the pain pathway system, the system that transmits those pain pathways is like, imagine it like a, a volume knob and it's dialed right up. So you and I might have the same amount of inflammation going on. So say we both had mild endometriosis or, you know, no endometriosis and just normal prostaglandin release with the period. If your volume knob on your um, pain pathway system was turned right up, you're going to experience that as much more painful than I would. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. So that's often why, for example, say if a woman has pain, significant pain and has a laparoscopy to check for endometriosis and she might not have endometriosis, then in the past, you know, I've seen women like that have that procedure and just, you know, burst into tears when I've told them that they don't have endometriosis because they think, oh my God, well, what is it then? I don't have a diagnosis. And, you know, I've seen in my training years, um, uh, doctors say, oh, well, it's not gynecological then, see you later, go and see a, a, a gastroenterologist or someone else. And then this poor woman is left in limbo land because their pain hasn't so been addressed. Frustrated, yeah. So frustrating. So I see women like this all the time. And so this is why what's so, what the message that I would want women to understand is that if they have painful periods or symptoms like we've discussed, Yes, endometriosis is a consideration and something we have to think about. But what you want to do is go to see someone who thinks about all breaks down what could be causing the pain. And even if it's endometriosis, it might be the the inflammation associated with the lesions. It's going to be the release of prostaglandins. In many cases, it's a, a pain pathway system that's turned up. In, so it's upregulated. That can then lead to the brain's, the center in the brain that processes pain, having amplified messages as well if that pain is, you know, consistent and not dealt with over a long time. So it's not only that the, the nervous system that's transmitting messages from the tissues is dialed up, it's when those messages get to the brain, it's like because the brain becomes used to receiving those pain messages, it's like there's a little man with a megaphone at the entrance to the brain just amplifying that pain just message. Screaming. Yeah. And so it dials those pain messages up further, and we call that central sensitization. So if you've got a woman who has starts off perhaps with painful periods and then the pain becomes all throughout the month, that's a sign that, you know, her pain pathway system and her brain have been upregulated and almost wired to receive pain. So they might still have like a trigger going on, say endometriosis or something else going on, but that's not the only thing. So if a woman like that goes to see someone and, you know, if, say, for example, has a surgery and has endometriosis removed, those women will often find that their symptoms don't go away because yes, you might Yes, and be... that's what I've heard. I've got girlfriends who have gone through this. They've had the surgery, but they still have the symptoms. That's right, because you're only removing one layer of the pain, of the causation of the pain. The other layer is that if you've had pain, um, the pelvic floor, which we often just don't think about unless, you know, and if I even if I say that now, probably a lot of your listeners will be, you know, think about that in relation to, say, having had babies and needing to strengthen the pelvic floor and be worried about, you know, leaking and things like that and stress incontinence. But the women that I see most often have the opposite problem. They have a really tight, upregulated pelvic floor. And it makes sense that if you've got pain in your pelvis or inflammation in your pelvis, over time, your body sort of subconsciously contracts and tries to protect itself. And it does that by, by um, uh, 
contracting like those. Hypertense. Correct, correct. So it's like your pelvic floor muscles, which are the muscles that are in a huge band around the floor of your pelvis, around the vagina, the rectum, coming into the back. Um, they just, it's like they're sitting there doing bicep curls every day that you don't know about. So they've become really bulky. And, and when you've got a really tight contracted muscle, you'll know that those kinds of muscles, when they're tight and contracted, often go into spasm. So um, they then, if they get a trigger, for example, like a period where there's some inflammation or, you know, any other triggers like stress, lack of sleep, um, you know, lack of movement, those muscles can go into into spasm and often women will then describe these severe sharp stabbing pains they often will say oh I've got this ovarian pain and they'll point to their ovaries but when you then assess them really well you'll find that it's actually pelvic floor and they have these trigger points so imagine if you've got a really sore um if it, it's like someone coming in saying they've got bad headaches and then you realise that their neck and their shoulders are tight. That's the same with pelvic pain and pelvic floor. No one ever has come in to see me to this day and said, I've got pelvic floor tightness and pain. It's always felt as pelvic pain. And it just takes a little bit of digging down to see where exactly the pain's coming from. And often in women with endometriosis and pelvic pain, part of the pain picture will be that upregulated pelvic floor. So that's another reason. So if someone has a surgery, um, this is this is why I'm very careful with saying, okay, let's think about all of the things that could be contributing to your pain. So I think what's important in the, in a history is, you know, history of of trauma. Okay, and that might include sexual trauma as well, because that's another thing that has been associated with higher rates actually of endometriosis and pelvic pain. Um, and also it, it tightens that pelvic floor because you're literally protecting yourself from that, um, that trauma and dealing with emotions and traumatic memories that even if you've dealt with from a psychological level, your, your body's still in that response. Yeah, absolutely. So that um, is a big thing. Inflammation, heavy bleeding, um, is there painful sex? Because that can be due to inflammation or the lesions in the pelvis with endometriosis or it could be due to the pelvic muscle tightness um and and then you know is there pain every day is there is there an element of that upregulated pain pathway system are there other symptoms like pain in other places in the body like frequent migraines or headaches that can give you a, a signal or a trigger a clue that there might be that um, turning up of the volume in your pain pathway system. So then what I would do with, with a woman who comes with pain and is worried about endometriosis, I would explain, you know, what we know about endometriosis, that diagnosis of endometriosis, as I said, gold standard is a laparoscopic surgery or keyhole surgery to visualise inside the pelvis and see if there are lesions. There are um, some other um, options now as our imaging gets better. So we know that a really good quality transvaginal ultrasound, um, and that would be an ultrasound done at a at a ultrasound um, clinic, clinic that just sees women. So there's a, there's probably only a couple in in Brisbane where I work that I would be would I would really trust because they have to really know what they're looking for. Um, or a pelvic MRI, and I would use a pelvic MRI in a woman who, for example, isn't sexually active, so I wouldn't want to use a transvaginal probe. And those kinds of um, imaging modalities can pick up um, severe endometriosis, so deep endometriosis, and I'll talk about the kind of different kinds of endometriosis in a second, or endometriosis that's in the ovaries with about 70 to 90% sensitivity. But if there's just very mild endometriosis, then it won't pick those up on those um, modalities. You will need a, a laparoscopy for that. So go on. Oh, no, I was just going to ask the question then. We've spoken about pain, but if pain's not not the primary concern. We'll say that we just pretended pain wasn't a concern, even though obviously it would be if you're in pain. Mm -hmm. Going ahead and having surgery, does that, you know, I guess with endometriosis, 
what is it doing to the function, like the inner workings? Is it impacting fertility? Would there be a reason to have the surgery anyway? Yes. So these are the reasons for surgery. And this is what I explained. And that's a really, really good question because it's difficult because people want a diagnosis. And in terms of what I do, I think that's great. But does the diagnosis change what we do? Because if the diagnosis doesn't change what we do, then doing an invasive procedure that may not help things and could potentially worsen things is a real something to really think about. So I would do surgery. So when, when I see someone, I explain, okay, this is the situation. These are all the possible things that could be contributing to your pain. Endometriosis could be one of them, but usually it's that whole picture that we've talked about. Um, and a, a laparoscopy can do the following two things. It can diagnose endometriosis. So I can say, yes, you have endometriosis. And it can remove the lesions of endometriosis. Does it always help with pain? No. And can it sometimes make pain worse? Yes. And the reasons why it doesn't always help with pain is because if you think about endometriosis like the, the lesions of endometriosis, like an iceberg on an ocean, doing a laparoscopy to remove those lesions, it does remove inflammatory tissue and can sometimes help with pain. There have been not huge amounts of studies on um, removing endometriosis. In fact, there was a study, I think it had uh, maybe 14 women in each arm or seven in each arm, one or the other. But they did a study where they did keyhole surgery on all of them, but they only removed endometriosis in half of them. So half of them had the cuts in their tummies, but they didn't have the endometriosis excised. And of the ones that didn't have the endometriosis excised, 30% of them improved. So I just want to mm. pause there because that shows the power of the, the mind-body connection, right? 30% of them improved without removing any lesions. Of the women that had the surgery, had the lesions removed, um, about 80% of women improved but um more than 50% of them had symptoms return after a few years. And then interestingly, when they went back in six months to remove the lesions in the women who didn't have them removed in the first place, about 40% of the lesions were a, were a bit worse. I think 30% of them were the same and about 30% or, or just under 30% of the lesions were improved. So we're wow. dealing with living tissue, right? So it's not like you have it, it's always going to be the same. It's definitely going to get worse. The thing about it is we don't know the natural history of endometriosis. There's this idea that you have to have surgery to remove it when it's mild before it gets worse, but we don't really have any there's no evidence that it goes from mild to severe. And there's been lots of anecdotal evidence where women have had a surgery for something unrelated. Again, they might have had it for a tubal, had their tubes tied and say it was noted, oh, there was a little bit of endometriosis under the left ovary. And then when they've gone back in to have something else done, you know, a year later, they might find that bit's gone and there's a tiny bit under the right ovary. So if, and if you've got a healthy, my feeling about it is if you've got a healthy immune system that's dealing with those lesions, the presence, we shouldn't be just treating the presence or absence of a lesion. We should be treating the whole woman. So mm. I would always make it very clear to a woman that a laparoscopy can diagnose endometriosis, it can remove lesions, it may or may not help with pain. And if you have all of the other, you know, pelvic floor dysfunction, upregulated pain pathways, it's definitely not going to fix your pain, even if we remove the lesions, because there are all of those other factors. It's like thinking about the factors that cause the pain and the symptoms, like an onion layer, and you need to deal with each layer of the onion and if you just if you just do the endometriosis lesion then and don't deal with any of the other things you're probably still going to have the pain and then the idea you know that the theory of endometriosis being an immune dysfunction there's also a lot of new evidence that then there's a there's quite a strong link with gut health 
immune system and potential development of endometriosis. So the concept of um, a disrupted microbiome leading to things like leaky gut and that that disruption in the microbiome might be due to also connected isn't it so connected and you know about 80 percent of women who have endometriosis have um symptoms of ibs right and so the one of the really interesting concepts um in research at the moment is that idea of there's some evidence that women who have endometriosis have different microbiome, so gut bacteria to women who don't. Yep. And there has been actually some um, gut bacteria found in the pelvic fluid of women who have endometriosis and the toxins that those bacteria make. So the theory is that if your gut microbiome is altered due to stress, diet, toxins in the environment and the microbiome can't make a beautiful thick mucus layer that protects the single layer of cells that lines your gut wall and that means that toxins bacteria other things can get through there underneath that single layer of cells is about 70 percent of our immune cells so if those um, toxins food particles um, bacteria interact with our immune system that might be what sets off the immune dysfunction that's that's um that takes place with endometriosis so it is super connected so when even if i'm doing surgery for endometriosis i would say if we just take the lesion away and we don't address your immune system your gut health ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Your inflammation, which includes things like diet stress, sleep, then we are literally cutting off the tip of the iceberg and leaving the whole situation to develop again. Yes. And so with the lesions, you mentioned there are some cases where it's like the lesions will just improve on their own or they might change form, they might decrease, increase and whatnot. But if they're being removed, is that again so i just i might be being daft here in asking this question again but i want to be really clear just from my own understanding would you remove a lesion because it impacts the inner workings like the functionality such as you know does it impact your egg count your fertility would you yes. look at lesions for other reasons other than pain or just yeah yeah so if if a woman had no symptoms whatsoever and wasn't trying for a baby and had no history of infertility, even if they had a scan which showed they had mild endometriosis or they were worried about it for some reason but they had no symptoms, then I wouldn't do anything, okay? if The reason I would do surgery is if a woman really wanted a diagnosis, if we'd tried um, managing and she wanted surgery as part of her treatment plan that was really comprehensive that involved all of the other things I've just spoken about. If she had tried other things and her pain wasn't improving, or if a woman had come to see me and had had um, trouble falling pregnant, so had been trying to conceive for 12 months and um, and it would be part of an investigation for, um, you know, reasons for, for infertility because we know that those inflammatory cells that are inside the pelvis can impact um, egg health, can impair impair the ability of the egg and the sperm to get together and, you know, it could potentially also impair implantation. So there is evidence that um, a laparoscopy to remove endometriosis if a woman has a history of infertility um, if you, if you do that operation at that time, find endometriosis and remove it, there is an improvement in pregnancy rates by about double. So I definitely would do it in that situation, but there is no evidence, and I think this is where a misconception occurs. A woman might come and say, I don't have any history of infertility, um, but I'm worried 
that, you know, if I've got endometriosis, I need to have a laparoscopy now. And then if you remove it, then it'll all be good later on. There's no evidence that doing a laparoscopy in someone who doesn't have a history of infertility improves their fertility because they might not have a problem to begin with. Does that make sense? It's not a preventative measure. Correct. And there's no evidence because they might. We know that about that probably more than 80% of women with known endometriosis go on to have babies with no problems. So they might never have had a problem to begin with. And you mentioned that mind-body connection. And I think it's so interesting because there's so much research now supporting just that kind of, I guess, not not to say placebo effect, but that placebo effect or even the opposite of that of over-pathologizing, over-focusing and making things worse. Do you see that in clients as well? Yes, all the time. I think for, for the first point, the placebo effect thing, I think that the effect of having being listened to, being cared for, and having your pain and your experience validated is incredibly therapeutic, difficult to measure in a randomised control trial, um, but is incredibly important. And I think that is um, that goes a long way to explain that kind of placebo effect. And often the greater the intervention, so like a needle has a higher placebo effect than a tablet and an operation has a higher placebo effect than a um, than needle. So that idea that there's something's being done to help you is really, really powerful. Um, but I also definitely see the other side of the equation where there's a lot of fear around endometriosis and I think the other thing is women shouldn't need to have a surgery to have their pain and experiences validated I think that their experience and their story should be validated from the get-go and I think one of the things that I see often is women who have might have some symptoms and then they might say be told that they have to have a surgery even though you know and, and aren't told you know this is these are the limitations. It can diagnose, it can remove lesions, it may or may not improve the pain. And there's not that really comprehensive um, addressing of all the other factors. And their pain might get worse, or they might be offered treatment. For example, one of the other ways that we treat endometriosis is through hormones. So a lot of the time I might use, as well as, you know, diet and lifestyle and anti-inflammatory supplements and things, I would may often use hormones to help suppress the, the endometriosis lesions. So and estrogen makes those lesions grow and progesterone generally makes those lesions, inhibits the growth of those lesions. Sometimes you see a woman who's had a surgery, who's had high doses of synthetic hormones and synthetic progestins with lots of side effects who comes to see me and says I had a few symptoms but nothing like I'm having now after the surgery it got a lot worse I'm on all these um, contraceptive drugs I have no libido I've put on 30 kilos my skin's terrible my mood is terrible and I've seen women like this be then put on an antidepressant to combat the side effects of the hormonal drugs and what's happening is they're trying really hard their doctors are trying really hard to suppress the growth of the lesions to treat the lesions but at what cost you know they're not treating the woman who's in front of them and I see that and then I see these women who present as like they feel like their bodies are completely broken, they've lost total control. And um, I guess if there was any message that I wanted to portray, it's that treatment of endometriosis and pain and any gynecological symptom should be about your experience, not the lesion. There's no point treating the lesion. I think you were trying to trying to ask me this before. But if you have endometriosis and it's not causing you any problems, you don't need to have that treated. And you definitely don't need to have the treatment be worse than the the cause. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And I'm so glad that you have said that so clearly because I think that's a big one for women. They're kind of wondering, oh, 
do I need to go down the path of seeking treatment, seeking a diagnosis? And it's so clear what you're saying. It's really about your experience with endometriosis, like the individual, mm-hmm. their own experience. It's not about following a linear path of going, you have X, so now we do Y. It's like, this is your experience. Okay, here are all the levels that we need to move through and address because surgery is not the be-all and end-all for everyone. No, and if you are going to have surgery, just make sure that you understand the limitations and then make sure that the person that you have seen has addressed whether there are any other factors that um, are at play with your pain and symptoms. And I'm, you know, I think that the number of women that I see who just have endometriosis as their sole thing and not any of those other factors is is pretty small. Often yeah. they go together. And, you know, you might see someone who says, look, I just want to go on the pill and I just want to take it continuously and I want to never get my period and that might control their symptoms and they're not interested in doing anything else, that's okay. Um, Someone else might want to have, look at it from a diet approach, look at it from... um, Look at it from a an exercise, immune system, inflammation point of view, and not go with hormones. Other people want might want to try a more localized form of hormone, like an IUD, um, and 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 some people might want a laparoscopy as part and to know their diagnosis as part of that workup. It's very individual, and it's just important that when you sit down with your care provider, that they talk to you about all of your options, and that you are really informed about the side effects. Um, and what you can expect to gain from each thing, you know, and that you're in control and that you are given some education and tools to help manage any of your symptoms because that's the key to, to feeling empowered and in control. It must be so rewarding for you, Peter, just as an individual when you're working with women, to have these women come in with you and say, I'm in pain or I'm you know, I have been experiencing really painful sex for years and years and then you start working with them and you can start resolving those issues. I guess with the, sorry, I was just going to say with the painful sex, is it the same sort of exploration path of looking at everything holistically? Yeah, so it could be a few things. So I always would say if you have painful sex, again, has there been trauma? Was there an event that triggered it? Is the pain deep? Is it superficial? So does it feel like sandpaper um, or stinging or is it more at the entrance and then after, um, you know, after entry, does the pain get better? Um, Is it just positional? Um, Are you unable to have sex at all? And then if you're seeing somebody for painful sex, you need them to examine you, look at the skin around the vulva and the vagina. Sometimes, for example, women who've been on prolonged um, oral contraceptive pill can have thinned skin in the vulva and the vagina and that can cause superficial pain which can then if you've got superficial pain remember it's all connected then the muscles can become dysfunctional then you can get deeper pain so that's one thing to consider if you if you have been on the pill and you start off having that superficial kind of burning pain Um, and then you want your doctor to check your pelvic floor and that usually requires just an examination with just one they would just use one little finger and they'll really gently feel the muscles through the in the vagina and see whether there's any tightness any tenderness and whether there's any trigger points um and if so so the pain could be due just to the pelvic floor muscles to the skin and it also could be due to say a deep lesion or deep endometriosis lesion and if there is a deep lesion they should be able to see that on a good quality ultrasound or a good MRI and say if I saw someone like that and they didn't have any um, signs of deep endometriosis what I might do, what I always would do is get them to see an excellent pelvic floor physio. So these guys are the actual heroes. They're amazing. Um, and they are women that 
they're just not any old physiotherapists. They're physiotherapists who've done extra training in women's health and pelvic floor and pain. And um, and then they basically will teach you, because obviously your pelvic floor didn't get like that overnight, They it's like rehab for your pelvic floor. So they'll teach you how to relax your pelvic floor consciously. And then sometimes that might require several sessions over, you know, six months or so. Um, you can get a care plan from your GP to make it more affordable. Um, and honestly, I've seen women who've had 13 laparoscopies. They might have had endometriosis along the way. Their pain is not, not any better and no one has picked up on the fact that their pelvic floor is super tight, which is not only causing their pain, their sharp pains, which is this, the, the pelvic floor spasm, and also painful sex. And I send them to a really great physio and they can make an absolute world of difference by pelvic floor down training, um, sometimes using like little things called pelvic ones which is like if you think about using a foam roller to roll out your sore muscles um, it's like a internal version of that it's like a little wand that can help you to get into the into you put it into the vagina and it can um, sort of iron out those those tight um, knots or trigger points and that can really help and what you're doing then is you're actually giving your first of all demystifying the pain because the other thing I didn't say about pain is fear so there's when you have pain there's also the fear of oh my god what's happening is this dangerous am I in danger is my life in danger which is a really obviously important important um reflex for us to have because you know I normally when we do have acute pain there is something wrong but if there's pain that continues over a long time like with chronic conditions say endometriosis then um, obviously those pain signals are bombarding us and we still have that fear even though there's not something terrible happening, you know, we're not in danger. And so if you can if you can explore each thing that's causing pain and demystify it, so, okay, when you get that pain, that's likely to be your pelvic floor. These are the things that you can do. So do your cat-cow do those yoga positions that really help to release your pelvic floor, use your pelvic wand, go and see your pelvic floor physio, um, go for a short walk, um, and those things will probably be improved, then the fear goes away. Um, and I think I, that that's... I was just going to say, sorry, Peter, I was going to say, because I imagine if we're in fear of pain, then our nervous system is activated and then that's causing more inflammation and... Correct. Just also connected it's totally connected and this is why um this is why I take so long with my patients and I feel like you know you could just do and I do do surgery but I find that um it's it's so important to do the whole thing because if you just do surgery and don't address any of these other things you're going to get women who have their pain back or they'll think that they've got endometriosis back and the current thinking with endometriosis is that you know you shouldn't be having multiple multiple surgeries so if you're seeing somebody who's recommending that you have a surgery every 12 months and I see this all the time oh your pain's back you need another surgery you need another surgery you need another surgery and their pain might improve for a few months but then it's back again because we're not addressing all of the factors right um and and while you do that you know you see increased adhesions more scar tissue you're you're sensitizing your pain pathways even more because you keep giving the body a reason to experience pain and you're taking control out of the hands of that woman you're not give, building her a toolbox to manage each each bit of her pain um so I think that that's really, really, that's a really important part of the um, untangling each little layer of the pain because, okay, these are the things that cause it, th these are the things that you can do, you don't have to have that fear around it anymore. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that's one of the things that I so enjoy most about listening to you is you are so thorough and you explain things so well. And I've had many women reach out to me just via social media and say, thank you so much for having Peter on your podcast. And they've now become clients of yours. And I'm sure that many, many women listening now would love to be clients of yours and not everyone can be, but a few questions have come through via Instagram on the topic of endometriosis. So I wondered before we wrap up, if I could just quickly go through these questions with you. Yeah, sure. Okay. So one of the questions was actually, there was a few about this topic, but related to whether or not a hysterectomy cures endometriosis. It doesn't cure endometriosis and um, it, it obviously removes the uterus, which removes um, endometrial tissue and stops periods. Sometimes women will still have endometriosis lesions in the pelvis um, and if the ovaries are left in place, um, you'll still have hormonal fluctuations, so estrogen rising. And as I said before, estrogen can cause those lesions to grow. Um, and when your estrogen and progesterone levels fall, they can bleed and they can cause more inflammation. So it doesn't cure it, but it often um, can improve the symptoms quite a bit. But it is a last resort, again, because there's pretty good evidence that by the time somebody gets to the point where they want to have a hysterectomy for pain, which is essentially why, um, they have had pain for a long time. Their pain pathways are definitely upregulated. And if they have the end, even if they have their uterus out, and all of the endometriosis that's seen removed, they're still going to have reasons for pain. So they're going to have the upregulated pain pathway. They're going to have the pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, they might have underlying inflammation and gut issues that could potentially have um, been part of the, the um, development of endometriosis. So there's still going to be things that can cause pain. So while they may or may not have new endometriosis lesions being, they may be less likely to have new, new endometriosis lesions, they may still have symptoms. So Again, back to that kind of iceberg analogy, if you're just mm. removing the top of the iceberg, but your body's still the root of the iceberg, so yes. you may still be experiencing it. So that's why I think it's most helpful to think about endometriosis as don't be treating it just because it's there. You're treating it as part of the um, – you're treating it if there are symptoms and it's probably a consequence of things that are happening in your body rather than the endometriosis causing everything. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It sure does. The next question, um, and you've touched on the immune link a little bit in this chat, but – one question that came through is, is it common to also have an autoimmune illness if you have endometriosis? Yes, they can go together. And there's some um, schools of thought that endometriosis almost acts a bit like an autoimmune disorder. So you've got, you know, out of control inflammation to your own tissues that's happening with endometriosis. You've got these little cells called mast cells that are just like exploding all over the place. And that can happen in other conditions like asthma um, and other autoimmune conditions. So, and especially if you think about leaky gut um, and, and IBS being a very common um, coexisting condition with women with endometriosis, they're those things, like your gut and um, IBS, are often associated with autoimmunity because of the way that things from the outside interact with our immune system under that endothelial layer in our gut. So that's probably what's happening with that link. And speaking of outside factors, is a plant-based diet the best? That was the kind of question that came through. The best diet that's been studied for endometriosis would be a Mediterranean-style diet, an anti-inflammatory Mediterranean-style diet, which you know is has got is very high in plants, so lots of um, green leafy vegetables, lots of legumes. Um, it has meat, but only a couple of times a month, rather than you know every day. There 
there is a link. And again, remembering that dietary studies are difficult to do because they're really expensive and there's no drug company to pay for them. Um, but there is a link between, say, higher consumption of um, red meat and endometriosis. And the link is probably to do with um, omega-6s, which are found, which is a kind of fatty acid, which is found predominantly in in red meat and, and even more so in, say, uh, grain-fed meat as opposed to grass-fed meat. So I think that... Definitely having heaps and heaps of meat probably isn't good for endometriosis or your gut or inflammation in general. But if you're having grass-fed organic meat, you know, a couple of times a month, then that's probably okay. Um, there haven't been, you know, those exact studies, but I would say eating mainly plant-based, plant-based with good quality organic grass-fed red meat a couple of times a month is probably the best if you wanted to eat meat. Yeah. Um, is it genetic? Um, yes. So there is a link between – it does run in families. So if you do – if your mother or aunt or sister has endometriosis, you're about seven or eight times more likely to have it as well. So this is where there's a lot of work going on in terms of the genetic link, but it's very multifactorial. And this is where it becomes very interesting because you can have genes. So we think, you know, yes, there can be some genetic factors that make you more likely to develop endometriosis. And there can also be environmental factors. So we think that there might be a link as well between chemicals called endocrine um, disrupting chemicals, which you might have heard of, which are in everything. So in plastic, cleaning and products, cleaning products, beauty products, yes, um, pesticides, so non-organic food, um, you know, non-stick cookware, flame retardants, basically in everything. And there's a theory that they may increase um, uh, the likelihood of endometriosis. And it might even be that there could be exposure to those things when you're in utero um, and or when you're a small child that you've got nothing that you can't do anything about now. So there are some things that are out of your control. This isn't endometriosis isn't a lifestyle disease by any means. There are just things that you can do in your life to change your symptoms and improve your quality of life. So yes, it, there definitely is a genetic link, but it's also about thinking about the environment because you can have a gene, but whether or not those genes are turned on or off, so that's called epigenetics, is all about what sort of environment you're exposed to. So that's why the old saying of the genes load the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. Totally. And I think we'll learn more and more about that, hopefully, as more and more research is done. I just think that it should be more about the focus of what a woman's symptoms are and then um, as opposed to the worry about endometriosis as something that's going to be doing a whole lot of horrible things inside your tummy or um, because that's not the case. It's about many women might have mild endometriosis and that was the other thing I didn't touch on which I'll just very briefly touch on. You can have very mild superficial disease which is like little spots on the lining of the pelvis which is easy to remove that's probably the kind of endometriosis that's the most common. Probably about 80% of women with endometriosis have that. And that may also be the kind of endometriosis that may be more likely to be asymptomatic and that many women might have and not know about it. Like it just might be, could be a part of our normal life. We don't know because no one's ever going to go and do a laparoscopy on 100 random people because it's just you not going to get through yeah. ethics. Yeah, exactly. It's just not going to get through ethics. Then there's ovarian endometriosis. So endometriosis that grows in the ovaries as a cyst. Um, the name for it is a chocolate cyst because when you burst it, it, it like it's like melted chocolate coming out. Oh. I know. Um, and those kinds of uh, um, ones, they can get very large and cause pain and pressure symptoms. So if they're like that, then often you do need to operate on them. If they're small and they're not causing symptoms, they might be a time where you may choose not to operate because the more you um, operate on the ovary, if you're removing bits of good ovarian tissue, then you can reduce the your fertility by reducing your egg count so that might be a time where you might not want to operate um, and then there's deep infiltrating endometriosis so if you think about the endometriosis sitting on the surface of the pelvic side wall 
like a spot. Deep endometriosis has roots. So think of it growing down, down into the structures underneath, which might be, you know, down into the ureter, the tube that goes from the kidneys to the bladder or down into the nerves bearing in. And those ones often, it's it's probably that that kind of endometriosis is almost a different thing to that superficial endometriosis. In that deep infiltrating nodular endometriosis, you can get really severe disease where the organs can stick together and it's really awful. Um, Again, some people can have that and be asymptomatic, um, but um, that's probably almost a distinct different thing to that mild endometriosis. So if you have a scan, a good quality scan, and you don't have any deep infiltrating endometriosis, everything looks mobile and lovely, it's very, it's probably the best option to try and deal with things conservatively through hormones, diet, if you want hormones, diet, um, lifestyle, etc., and then move on to surgery if you need to down the track. Um, I don't think that the other misconception is everybody with suspected endometriosis doesn't need a laparoscopy. And many of the time when I explain to somebody what a laparoscopy can and can't do and their expectations are set, they might choose, no, they don't want a laparoscopy. They know that I'm treating them like they have endometriosis otherwise. But if their symptoms are controlled with doing the things that we're doing, they prefer not to have surgery. Um, So it's all about just making sure that you have informed like all the information to make the right decision and surgery may or may not be part of your treatment option treatment kind of plan but you need to make that with your doctor together individually you are just an encyclopedia of knowledge I said to you before we hit record I just get lost when I'm listening to you because I'm like oh you just know everything and I, I find it so amazing that you um can explain things so well now I am mindful of time because I know that you are an incredibly busy woman at the moment before you run off can you let our listeners know what it is that's keeping you so busy right now because I think that it's very exciting particularly for our Brisbane listeners Yes, so I'm in the process of transitioning from my um, practice in Brisbane in town um, to opening um, a new clinic in the Samford Valley, which is about 35, 40 minutes on the north side of Brisbane. Um, It's in a beautiful location at Mount Sampson, so underneath this beautiful mountain range, overlooking a beautiful um, hoop pine forest and next to like a 300-year-old incredible fig tree. And I'm setting up a little um, holistic gynaecology practice here um, with a few other heart-centred, gorgeous gynaecologists who treat women in a really holistic way as well. And also with some fantastic, amazing pelvic floor physios, um, dietitians, um, a naturopath, an acupuncturist, um, a psychologist. So I'm in the process of just getting all of that ready to be opening in a few weeks. It's called Vera Women's Wellness. And um, it's just, it's been amazing to watch it come to life. So I'm looking, so looking forward to being able to share this um, sort of really healing space with women and help them on their journeys and provide them with a safe, caring space. And it looks so beautiful. I've been following along on social media. So I will put the handles in the show notes as well because I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be interested in hearing more from you and perhaps even coming into your amazing clinic. I know I'm desperate to get up there and have a look in real life as well. I'm also desperate for you to put one in northern New South Wales, but, <laughs> you know, little by little. Give me time. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure to hear from you again today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 